Well, good morning. So speaking of, on our last uh, study, we were in the book of Genesis. And when you look at Genesis, remember there was a clue that was given in the book of Genesis, kind of what the book would be about. Anybody remember what uh, Genesis really means? When we talked about the book of Genesis, it was the book of... That's it, I'm going home. <laughs> it's a book of beginnings. Okay, the book of beginnings. It could mean creation. No, no, no half points. Okay. <laughs> could have been uh, the book of creation. Yeah, it was there, I know. <laughs> could be the book of creation, the book of generation. You know, and it, with our 60 or so week of studies through it, you know, we learned a lot about the beginnings of what God specifically brought into existence. The different families, the tribes, you know, you just look at creation, all those things. There was a lot of beginnings that had happened in there. So today, because I've had so many requests for it, why don't you guys open your, book, your Bibles to the book of Obadiah? Oh my goodness. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to start a study in the book of Revelation, okay? Right. Starting today, okay? Now, <laughs> nice to see your faces, though, scramble like, where's Obadiah? <laughs> Maybe one day we will. That might be the next one. But we'll go through, uh, we're going to talk basically, we're going to go from one end of the Bible to the other end of the Bible. Uh, So it should be easy to find. You know, when we talk about the book of Revelation as we're getting into the new journey here, it's really the revelation of Jesus Christ is what it's about. We get that from the very first sentence. Uh, It's not the book of Revelations. I hear that a lot. People are like, oh, I, re- I love reading the book of Revelations. It's like, no, it's the book of Revelation, singular. It's one revelation. And it's a revelation really attributed to our Lord. You know, uh, that word revelation is, it's a Greek word that means really it's apocalypsis is where it comes from, which is where we get our word apocalypse from. When you, when you kind of study that word apocalypse, what it really means is it's a, literally a revelation or a discovery of what was concealed or hidden. So it's, it's something that, that reveals something that was concealed or hidden. And for sure, you know, when you go through the book of Revelation, you think there's no way we would have just figured this out on our own. You wouldn't have come to these conclusions unless the Lord revealed these things. It had to be a revelation of things to come. He had to explain it to us because we couldn't have come up with these things ourselves. Nobody could have. Uh, David Guzik says, this is an apocalypse, which is a revelation, not an apocrypha, which is something hidden. Like when you look at a Catholic Bible, they have the apocrypha, and they have certain books that are added to the Bible that they've included to them, and apocrypha means something hidden, and they put it into the Bible on top of this. No, this is not an apocrypha. This isn't anything hidden. This is something revealed. This is an apocalypse. Now, some people will wonder why I chose to study this now, because honestly, I think every single time we start a new book, I have two or three people say, will you please do the book of Revelation? Every single time. Everybody's asking for the book of Revelation. Uh, And honestly, the reason why we haven't studied the book of Revelation is because I did not feel that I was capable of doing the book justice. For all these years that I've taught the Bible, uh, I've never done a study on the book of Revelation. And I, I, there's been plenty of other content we could cover, and I always felt like I want to wait a little bit longer, a little bit better understanding, 
uh, because I, honestly, I don't, still don't feel very capable of doing the book justice at this point. Uh, but I know that the Lord will take care of you know, what we need to do and we'll stick to the main themes and all those things. Uh, but in light of everything that's happening in our current day and age, and also the constant confirmations I've been getting, over the last couple of weeks, I have been having so many people asking me questions on things that pertain to Revelation, even my kids, which my kids didn't know what we were, I, my wife still doesn't know what we're teaching on there, but you know, they've been like, what are we going into next? What are we going to next? Guys at work are like, what's the next book? What's the next book? You'll find out. And now they didn't show up, so they're never going to find out. Okay. <laughs> if she'd been asking, I wouldn't let her know. You know, but so many people have been asking me questions that pertain to the book of Revelation over the last month or so. Um, you know, what about hell? What about, you know, we had a great conversation with my family about hell on over Christmas. That was interesting. But <laughs> my daughter and my son got into just a conversation about hell and what it really is and, you know, just all the difficulties with that. And uh, just other people bringing up different things that tie right into it. It's like, man, there's so many people who are thinking of this right now. There's so many people that are thinking of these things. So I feel really obligated to do my best to make sure that we're prepared for what this book has revealed to us about all of our futures. Um, you know, I, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but I'm not sure how much longer it will be until the Lord returns for his church once again. And I definitely am, you know, one of those guys that believe in the rapture. I believe that the Lord is coming for the church. Um, and I believe that it is, we're definitely in the age where we should be looking up. We should be looking up. There's so many things that are happening right now. And because of that, you know, I want to prepare us all with what God has revealed to us through his word. I don't want the, the fellowship of Calvary Woodburn to be raptured and like, what's this? <laughs> you know, what's happening here, you know? Oh, he didn't teach his people. No, I, you know, most of you already know these things. But I'd like us to have a good understanding of the things to come as best we can. You know, as much as we can understand, I, I want us to do that. I want us to be prepared for that day, and I want us to be encouraged with the knowledge that's available to us, you know? And I want us to see, especially because with Genesis, that was a recurring theme, that God is working all things together for good. We saw that over and over and over again in the book of Genesis, that in some really, really bad situations, God was working all things together through good, for good through those bad situations. I'll tell you what, there's nothing more evident of that than the book of Revelation. Because there's going to be a lot of bad things that we're going to read about that God is allowing to happen as he's working things together for good. He's doing good through it. And we're going to see that very, very clear. Now, Lord willing, we're going to see that and understand that as things go. Uh, we're going to also be reinforced the fact that Really, none of these things that are happening, the things that are coming, or, or anything that's going to happen in the future is outside of his sovereign control. That, that's the hard part that is really, I, I, found that, I find that to be the, the most difficult thing to explain to people. When they really start digging in that is when you understand the sovereignty of God that nothing is outside his control. Nothing. There's nothing. Satan, you know, you name it. Pick the worst things. Nothing is outside of his control. Otherwise, he cannot be omniscient. He can't be omnipotent. He is sovereign. It doesn't necessarily mean that he causes these things to happen, but, it, but even as these things happen, he is still in control. It is still part of his plan, as difficult as it is to understand. It's the sovereignty of God that we're confronted with. 
It's working towards that glorious culmination of his eternal plan that he decided and he decreed long ago. And it's best that we have a little bit of an understanding of this before these things come to pass. I'd like to uh, just jump right in. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into introductions on this. I want to get into the word. There's plenty of things to go with. I'm not going to, we'll handle the difficulties as we go verse by verse through them. Uh, So instead of trying to hit it all up front, like a lot of uh, teachers do, we're not going to do that. Uh, We're just going to jump in the word. And in Revelation 1.1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. I want you to notice, first of all, how this revelation was provided to us. How did this revelation take place? Because this is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. But it's very interesting how this happened. You know, you have, first of all, it was God the Father who gave it to the Son. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him, the Father gave him. So the Father gave Jesus this revelation to his Son, Jesus, which then Jesus gave to an angel, entrusted to an angel, And that angel gave it to John, to which John wrote it down and used it to encourage the church. Specifically, we're going to see at first to seven churches in the Asian Minor province, seven specific real churches that were around during that time. But this is also a universal letter, just like all of the letters in Scripture. They were written to specific churches or specific people, but it was intended to be something that would be universal for all believers, something to be distributed around to the different churches, something to be shared amongst them. And we'll see, evidence will show that this was something that was meant to be shared. But what is the main point of this revelation? What is the main point? It says it right there. To show his servants what must soon take place. To show his servants, right at the very first verse, that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. God wanted to make sure that his servants understood what was about to take place. This is why we need to understand these things. I got this quote from... Charles Spurgeon, it says, Things written concerning the future are not intended so much to gratify our curiosity as, as to stimulate our watchfulness. That's the heart behind this study. It's not necessarily to draw in people who are curious, because it does. The book of Revelation draws in the curious. Even non-believers want to understand or hear about the book of Revelation because there's some things that are just shocking in the book of Revelation. This is not to satisfy that appetite for curiosity. This is to encourage and stimulate your watchfulness. It says, as these things begin to happen, look up. Your redemption draws near. This study, what my desire is, is that it would, inside of all of us, that it would create a greater desire to look forward to the Lord's coming. A greater desire, a greater anticipation of what's about to take place. Now, I want you to see also, too, the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants. Whose servants? His servants. 
Jesus' servants. This is important because it was not John's servants. Now, John, of course, was, we'll find he was, he was actually secluded on an island in Patmos on there, confined to that. But it wasn't John's servants. Even though he's giving the message to these churches, it was never his servants. It was Jesus' servants. And that's something that we have to understand about church um, within any ministry is, you know, God uses us all differently. We all have different gifts. We have all different talents and abilities and, and ways that we contribute to the body of Christ and especially in this local ministry. But nobody is a servant of mine. Uh, and, and pastors, I think we have to be really careful that we never confuse that into looking at people who attend church as these are our servants to do the things we need them to do. That's not the case. We are co-laborers together. We, we all row in the same boat. We have different functions together. I mean, you have Drew who leads in worship. You have me who shares in the word. We have people who help with the children's ministry. There's people who help set up, tear down. But it's all the body of Christ working in conjunction with one another to accomplish the same goal. But it's never a position of lordship over servants, even for the pastor within the church. And anytime you see that, and I, I don't believe that you know, I don't believe you would ever run into that with any kind of Calvary Chapel type church, um, although we are you know, capable of sin, there's no doubt. Uh, but other denominations, sometimes you kind of walk into that church and it's like the pastor is put up on this pedestal and everybody serves him. And that's wrong. Jesus makes it very, very clear at the very, very beginning of this that it is his servants. And we're all working together. You need to understand something else about that, though. Do you view yourself as a servant of Jesus Christ? This, this letter was written to you, and it addresses you as a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, we talk about that a lot, when it go, especially when we go through the epistles and the apostle Paul's writings uh, many times. You know, a bondservant of Christ, that person who willingly surrenders himself to be a servant, a slave to Christ. We've talked... <laughs> I think through every book through that. We are servants. But do you view yourself as a servant of Christ? You may say, well, I know it here, but does that come out in your life? Is that the way you live? Or is it just something you're reminded of when you go to church and these passages come up? Do you live as a servant of Christ? That he's your Lord and your master? Do you view yourself that way? Do you treat yourself that way? I believe that this, this letter has great potential to help us to understand why we are servants of Christ. To understand the reality of that. When we see all that's going to happen and how the Lord is going to work in the future, trust me, you will understand on that day that you are a servant of Christ. When these things begin to happen, there will be no doubt. You will not be just like, well, I'm just a Christian. I come into church and I do what I want. No, trust me. You're going to fall on your face before him and understand he is your Lord and master. It will be clear. It will not be hidden. It will not be just something you read about. It will be something you experience. The book of Revelation is going to heighten that awareness. You're going to understand that you truly are a servant of Christ. And there will be no doubt in your mind in regards to his honor and his authority over every aspect of our lives all the way into eternity. His honor, his authority, into all of eternity. But in verse 3, pay really close attention to all the implications of verse 3. Just read that again. 
Blessed is the one. Now, my translation says, reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And you probably have an asterisk or an italicized word. And it says, who reads. And it doesn't say read aloud. But if you do some studying on it, you'll see that that is actually what it specifically means. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. Now, context is really important, and you, you need to understand something about, you know, you may have never thought of this. Reads aloud scripture, reads aloud this letter. Why is that important? Well, because it says, and blessed are those who hear. So there are people who are reading, and there are people who are listening. So blessed, there's two different people who are blessed in that. The person who's reading it, proclaiming it, and the person who's hearing it. But they, they can't just hear it they need to keep what is written in it it's not just hearing it's keeping what is written in it because the time is near in other words it can't just pass from one side of your head out the next the other side you got to retain it you need to hold on to it in in this study you need to really pray that the lord will help you to retain what you're hearing really understand and appropriate what you're hearing what you're learning Why is that such a blessing? Because the time is near and you're going to need to know these things. You're going to want to know these things. As things start happening, you're going to want to know these things. You're going to want to understand it. The New Living Translation of Paraphrase says, For the time is near when these things will happen. The time is near when these things will happen. Now some, nearly 2,000 years later, were 2,000 years closer to when they wrote this. It's been 2,000 years, nearly 2,000 years since these were written. That just means that we are 2,000 years closer to this. Now, we know the Lord's time frame is not the same as ours. The Bible says that a day is as of 1,000 years to the Lord. In other words, you know, he's not limited to time. I don't necessarily think that it's going to be another 1,000 or 2,000 years from now with the way things are going globally, not just in America, but globally. But... We are definitely closer than ever. If, if you think of kind of if you start as two parallel lines and this was the time is close, that line just keeps getting closer and closer and closer as time goes on until where it's almost indistinguishable. And I think we're very close to that moment. It's just very close right now. If it was close then, then it is very close right now. I started thinking of an illustration of this and pardon my tire illustrations, but you know, there's times where people come into the shop and they're like, can you look at our tires? You know, and I just need to know where they're at. And we walk out and none of our guys are on commission. So we measure them and we tell them this is where you're at. You know, there's a certain point on tires where they're not completely worn out. People look at it. Well, I can still see the head, you know, so I'm still good. No, you're not. Um, because once you get to a certain point on a tire, you know, that's, that's the wear bar. That's the point where, yes, you've got to get rid of these tires. But what people don't understand is 230 seconds above that, you really, really, really start losing traction. It's dramatic. It's, you know, it's, it goes from, like, in the testing that has been done, and not just us, but testing that's done from 230 seconds to 430 seconds, stopping distance grows by about 10 to 12 car lengths. It's huge on an emergency stop. So when that person comes in and say they're at that 430 seconds mark, we're looking at that and we're saying, you need tires now. It's, you need tires now. Why? Because we understand what can happen. It's close. 
There's a difference from that from the person who drives into my store with still belts showing. I will say the same thing to them. You need tires now. But the difference is the threat is imminent. So you see what when, when the Bible says these things are close, yes. It was 430 seconds when this was written. Now we're down to still belts, guys. Okay, it is imminent. There are things that, that it is close. Things are starting to happen in our world. You should be aware of it. Yes, it's close. It's closer than ever. Who are the ones that stand to receive this blessing that he's talking about? Well, he says three of them. You have those who faithfully proclaim these words. Then you have those who are able to hear these words and not just hear them, but the ones who can spiritually ingest them. Jesus talked about it all the time when he would teach, you know, blessed are those who have ears to hear. In other words, you have the ability to hear. You know, there are some people that are deaf and they, they do not have the ability to hear. Blessed are those that have the ability to hear. I love watching those things, you know, every once in a while you see it on Facebook or something where a little child who was born deaf and the parents find out a couple years later or something that the child could not hear. And then they put in hearing aids or something and they hear and they're just like, like all of a sudden they're just, a whole world opened up to them, you know, and it just, man, so much joy seeing that blessed are those who have ears to hear. Well, it's kind of the same thing as a Christian, right? Because none of us understood the word of God prior to Christ. We may have heard the word of God, but we didn't attain the word of God. It didn't make a mark in us. It didn't change us. We didn't ingest it. It just kind of went through us. Blessed are those who have ears to hear. Especially so when it comes to this. Blessed are those who proclaim these things, who teach these things and share these things, but blessed are those who have ears that can hear these things, that can understand these things. And finally, blessed are those who keep these words, not just hearers of the words, but doers of the words. And that's the same for us for anything that pertains to the word of God. If you're going to be blessed by the word of God, you have to understand that the ones who are blessed by the word of God are those who are not just hearers only, but doers of the word of God. It's, it just works that way with all Christianity. Now, it's only the Holy Spirit that is able to make us people who can rightly proclaim, who can hear, and who can do as John is speaking to us here. It's only the Holy Spirit that can enable us to do any of those things. Um, I, I have learned over and over again that no matter how much I prepare in the Word of God, if the Holy Spirit is not the one who's giving me the ability to proclaim and opening the hearts and the ears of those who are listening, then really what I'm doing is wasting an hour of everyone's time. It, it has to be the Holy Spirit that gives me the ability, gives you the ability, and then causes us all to do that's part of grace. Grace is, is undeserved favor, but it's also the power to do. When we talk about the grace of God, undeserved favor, but the power to do. You cannot be a Christian without the grace of God. You can't enter into Christianity, nor can you perform as a Christian. Legitimately do the things that God is calling you to do without the grace of God. The functioning of the Holy Spirit inside your life, active. We should want this blessing. 
We should want this blessing. When you come to this study, and who knows how many weeks we'll do it, but I'll tell you what, you should want to be blessed by it. And when you're saying, I want to be blessed, what you're saying is, I want, number one, pray for me that God gives me the ability to teach it accurately and under the power of the Holy Spirit so that there is a blessing in that and pray that you have ears to hear and the ability to do. I want that blessing, God. Give me ears to hear and the ability to do. Give me the ability to do this, Lord. I want to retain this because the time is near and I want to be ready for this. I want to understand as these things are happening. Bless me with this understanding. Bless me with this, this ability to do these things. Yeah, don't, don't come to this church just, oh, I hope there's some good jerks, jokes today. <laughs> it should be, I want to be equipped. I want to be ready for this. I want to understand more. That's the blessing. Verse 4, it says, John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to God, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As I've already mentioned, he begins by addressing seven specific churches in Asia Minor, which we are going to specify as we get into chapter 2. But like I said, we're going to see a universal application of this for all believers. He starts out by saying grace and peace to you. And like I said, grace means that undeserved favor of God and the strength that is needed to live the Christian life day by day. When he says grace to you, he's saying you, the undeserved favor that you need of God and the strength to do, to live this life. And peace, that's the resulting calm that enables a believer to face persecution, sorrow, and even death itself. It's what it takes. You know, if, if you're going to have peace, peace is manifest in the midst of crisis, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to have peace if you wake up and everything's good. It's hard to have peace in the midst of crisis or difficulties in life, right? That's how you know it's God. When God gives you supernatural peace, a calmness of spirit in the midst of chaos. He's writing to these people something that is going to be very chaotic. Some things that are going to be very concerning as we learn about these things. He says, grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ. You're going to need both of them through this time. You will need both. Where does this grace and peace come from? In verse 4 it says, from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Who is that? Jesus. That's actually, it could be Jesus, but also the Father. You're going to see all three here in just a minute. From the one who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. Who are the seven spirits before the throne? What is seven in, a figure of in the Bible? Completion. Think of how the world robs or rips off things that God gives, right? You have the rainbow, right? God has the rainbow. It's, it's really to be a reminder for us that God will never destroy this earth again through the floods. And what does Satan do? He turns it into something that is basically attacking some of the values of Christianity. We were flying to, uh, to California and to see Melinda 
And we had to stop in Vegas. And when you go to Vegas airport, what do you see? You see all kinds of slot machines, right? And it just hit me. It's like, wow, what is, what is the winning number? 777. The number of completion. Isn't that just like the enemy to take something that holds some people in such great bondage? And yet that's a number for us that we look at in the Bible and it's symbolic of completion. We're talking about the, the complete totality of the Holy Spirit here. That's what he's referring to. So the Father, the Holy Spirit, and then the third thing, it's very clear. And from Jesus Christ, and what does he say about Jesus? The faithful witness. Man, when you think about Christ and the way that he lived and the way that he died, there is no one more faithful than Jesus Christ. Absolutely, he is a witness to the Father. If you want to learn anything about the Father, you look at Jesus. And you can see exactly what what the Father loves, what he hates, how much he loves people and what he was willing to do to save them through sending his Son. The faithful witness, he was faithful to be the perfect witness. The firstborn from the dead, in other words, he is the forerunner for us. The author and the finisher of our faith it talks about in that word, you know, author is pioneering. Pioneering a road through the resurrection. He is the one who pioneered the road for us to be resurrected. He is the firstborn of the dead, the first to stand before the Father in a resurrected state for eternity. And he is the ruler of kings of the earth. And we're going to see as time comes towards the end of time, there's going to be more and more rulers that are going to rise up. But I'll tell you what, he is still the king of all of those kings. Every one of them. He is the ultimate ruler. Notice too, though, that it says right after that, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings. And then it says, to him. So not only was this letter written and given to us from the revelation of Jesus Christ, but it was also written to him. Did he need to be informed of these things? Did he not know? Of course he knew. Why was it written to him? Well, the clue is in the very, very, right after that. To him who loves us. He loves us and he wants us to understand these things. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be walking in the grace and peace and the truth that he provides. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. It's a blessing for him to think of this time. I mean, just think about it. You know, he left, when he left this earth, it was under obviously the resurrection, but he was crucified before that and he was beaten and he was mocked and humiliated in front of everyone. And he allowed that to happen. That that was part of the plan, right? What a blessing it must be to him as these things are being conveyed to this is how it ends. This is how I'm coming back. This is the point of everything that I endured and everything you endured. Imagine what kind of blessing that is to Christ as he was revealing these things to everyone. I mean, have you ever been so excited to tell someone something that you knew was going to be a huge blessing to them? You knew it was going to be a huge blessing and you just wanted them to know it. You just, you know, maybe you were hiding a secret from them and it was like, oh, it was almost time and you just wanted them to know the truth. We experienced that maybe at Christmas time or whatever, right? You want them to know the truth. Well, how much more does Jesus want his church to know the truth? 
This is how it's going to culminate. These are the things that are going to take place. This is what's going to happen. This is the eternal big picture. And I'm going to give you everything you need to know. There's not going to be any doubt. There's not going to be any mystery to this that you don't need to know. It's all going to be there. And it's because God's providing that information to us who Jesus set free from our sins by his blood. We are blood bought. And it's a blessing to him that we're aware and we're going to get to experience this reality with him. And he made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. The Bible also talks many times about us being a kingdom of priests. And how God has done that, made us available so we can enter into the Holy of Holies. We can come before the throne of grace. We can walk into that alone because of the blood of Christ. We don't have to have another human be a representative for us. We can go directly to the throne. He's made that for us through his blood. And then he finishes with, To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's almost like he had an outburst of praise. As he's just thinking of these things. He's writing it down and he's just, man, he's just going and he's just praising as he's done it. Now, I love those moments when, I, when I'm studying. I love those moments. If, you know, if I can ever have time where I can get quiet and the Lord is just bringing some things to my mind and it's just coming together and I can sense it's the Holy Spirit as I'm preparing the study. And it almost makes you, I, sometimes I do, I'll grab my guitar and I wonder, you know, my kids are thinking, why did he just start doing worship? Practicing worship. That's not as weak or whatever. It just I just want to worship at that moment because it's like you can sense God's presence. You can sense and there's something in you that you just want to praise God. You just want to thank Him as He's revealing these things to you. And it's like, man, it's just overwhelming. And I'm just thinking, what must John have felt like at that moment? As all these things and he's hearing this to him who loves us. Well, remember, how did John refer to himself? As the disciple that Jesus loved. He, he thought he, he was resting on Jesus' breast as he was you know, getting to that last meal and the time was close. He was there at the cross as Jesus entrusted his mother into his care. He was, he was greatly loved by Jesus and he knew it and he's writing this down. Jesus chose him to write these things down to him who loves us. Not just who loves John. <laughs> you know, He's like to him who loves us. And has set us free from our sins by his blood. And then he just goes into this worship. He's just like, hallelujah. He's just worshiping at this moment as he is basically in a prison. He's just overwhelmed by it. The thought of these things. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Then, right after, he kind of has this just random act of praise in the midst of this. It's like the Lord allowed him to catch a glimpse of his glorious return. Just a a little taste of what he's about to learn. In verse 7, Look! He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. The one who is, who was, and who is to come. The Almighty. 
Can you imagine him? He's, he's writing these down. And he's like, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And he's all, look. And he has this vision of the Lord coming down. He's all, look, he's coming in the clouds. It's like the Lord captivated him at that moment. And he's just seeing it, just a glimpse of what he's about to see, of what he's about to reveal. It's like, look at this. Does any of that sound familiar? It should. You Matthew 24, verse 30, it says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is not talking about the rapture. This is a time where everyone sees this. And there's going to be mourning, and there's going to be just this just amazing event that's going to take place where everyone sees Jesus return. Or what about when he first ascended into heaven? Shortly after the resurrection, 40 days after, it says... After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud received him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. In other words, you're going to see him return. He's going to come in the clouds just as you saw him disappear as they're standing there like, where'd he go? He's like, why are you staring up to heaven? He's going to come back and you'll see him once again. Everyone will see him according to what we just read in Revelation. What a promise. Like I said, do not confuse this with the rapture. This is not the rapture. We know that at the rapture, the Lord will come for his church. Coming for his church, we're going to meet him in the clouds. It's going to be raptured, okay? It's a violent taking away, a snatching away is what that really means. Like a snatching away that occurs instantaneously. That in the blink of an eye, it's going to happen. That's going to be the rapture and we will be with the Lord. We will meet him in the air as he comes for his church. This is referring to a time when every eye will see him. And it doesn't seem to be limited to just those who are alive at that time. When you read that verse, it says... Even those who pierced him will see him at that moment. I don't think that that's just a general reference to the Romans or the Jews. I think that is a literal thing that's going to happen, that every eye will see him. Those who are dead, those who are living, they will see his return. Everyone will see him. All the tribes of the earth, it says, not just Israel. All the tribes of the earth will see him and mourn over him. Well, how will that happen, you might ask? How is that going to happen? How is everyone going to see his return? What if he shows up in America? You know, what are they going to do in Europe? You know, how are they going to know? Well, Jesus answers that question himself. The internet. No, <laughs> TikTok. No, it's not going to be any of those things. Verse 8, it says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God. The one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. 
Don't ever forget who Jesus is or the unlimited capabilities that he possesses. When we come to things like this, and we will come to things like this in this study where it's going to be like, how is that going to happen? God's not limited to our reasoning. He's not limited to what we think he can do. When that time comes, every eye will see. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he will do it. He's God. He's the one that we studied about in Genesis 1, the creator of all things. If he can do that, he can figure this out as well. And if he says, every eye will see, then every eye will see. Even the ones who died by fire and there's ashes. I'm telling you, every eye will see. Because God, it's no big deal if you're, if, you're, if you're omnipotent. There's nothing you can't do. Just think about the irony of his first coming and his second. You know, we we didn't have the opportunity to be here last week for Christmas, and you guys have your presents there. I even wanted to make sure you had them. They were uh, supposed to be for Christmas, so if you want to save them until next year, you can. Or if you want to open them up, go ahead. Uh, But we just wanted to do that, and we do that every year just to have a blessing and something you can hold on to and hopefully remind you of the fellowship that we have with each other. Um, But when you think about the irony of his first coming and just the humility with which he arrived... It's astounding to think of Jesus taking the form of a child and coming in clothed with his own humanity, which he created, and to allow himself to be completely helpless and dependent upon those two young parents, especially the one. It's crazy to think of that. The creator of everything as a baby in a manger? It's hard to put our minds around that. And we're going to learn about his second coming where that is not the case. That lamb is coming back as a lion this time. It's going to be very, very evident to all that he is the Lord of all, that he is the Almighty. There will not be a question in anyone's mind. There will not be anyone who is doubting his authority or his ability at that moment. Every person who has ever existed will know it on that day. Can you sense just a little bit of the overwhelming wonder and excitement that John wrote about with these words? Jesus, the one who loved him so much, was coming back in this time in a manner that fully and rightly represented his glory. John was overwhelmed at the thought of that. Wouldn't you be if you were there watching him being crucified? And watching how they treated him. And then hearing how people talked about him afterwards. Even though he was resurrected for 40 days and hundreds of witnesses and all these things. And the resurrection was amazing, right? Our our faith is built on the resurrection. All these things. We understand the value of the resurrection. But the truth is, the only people who are blessed by the resurrection are the people who believe the resurrection. If, if they choose not to believe it, it has no power over their lives whatsoever. It's only those who understand it and those who believe it, those who were enabled by the Holy Spirit to believe it, those are the ones who are impacted by the truth of the resurrection. This one is going to be evident to all. Everyone will be impacted by this when he returns. Everyone will be impacted by his, by this. And I do believe that there, we're all going to be mourning to some extent 
on that day. I think we're all going to have a little bit of mourning that day that he talks about right there. I, I feel like, you know, what, what would go through your mind if the Lord were to return today? You know, if, if you were caught up in the rapture today, I mean, on the way up, what thoughts would be racing through your head? Did I live in a way that was worthy of him, even this week? Even this drive this morning? I mean, did I live a life that was worthy of him? I think we're all going to have a little bit of mourning that we experience that day, especially at the second coming. Understanding, man, why wasn't I more dogmatic for him? Why was I not out proclaiming this truth to everyone? Just a, a glimpse of we were talking, the kids and I, about hell. And one thing that, you know, as, as we were discussing the reality of hell, and the conclusion that I came to as we were talking about it is it should be something that we hate. It should be. Nobody should be happy about the thought of hell, anyone going to it, no one. It should be something that's repulsive to us. But that repulsion should not lead to unbelief because we can't understand it. It's, it's so terrible, we, we can't put our minds around it, how terrible it is. What it should lead us to is an urgency to share the truth because it is that repulsive, because it is that great, and it is that devastating, and it is that eternal. That should compel us to be sharing the truth with people, to be ambassadors for Christ, because we understand the gravity of the decision. I think that's why Jesus talked about it so much. I think that's why we're going we're gonna to have to deal with it head on in the book of Revelation. We're going to hit it head on. And it's not going to be comfortable and it's not going to be easy to get your mind around. But it's there. It's real. And it should compel us to want to share the truth with people. With everything we got. My prayer is that as we start this study, the Lord gives us hearts like John today. Hearts that cannot contain our praises for the Lord. That as we, as we go through the book of Revelation, that we feel it welling up within us, that it's like you just want to praise him for his glory and his majesty and his perfect plan and his patience to allow himself to go through what he went through and yet culminate with this. It should, it should be something that wells up within us that we just want to worship him. We should be overwhelmed with praise. The book of Revelation should lead to overwhelming us with praise, just like John at the beginning of this. He was overwhelmed with it. Just the thought of what he's about to share. And it should prepare our hearts for all that the Lord is going to teach us through his word in the coming months. We should be praying, Lord, give us, I want to receive the blessing. And he already told us what the blessing is. The blessing is to those who proclaim it. The blessing is to those who have ears to hear it and that keep it. Lord, I want to receive that blessing. Help me to keep these words. Help me help these words to impact my life. I don't want to just go to another Bible study. I want these words to impact my life.
Those are the ones who are going to get the blessing from this study. And I want to be one of those. I want to be one. Not just the proclaimer, but I also want to be a receiver of that as I receive it. I want to be like John, that as the Lord is clarifying to me his words and, and making it very clear, and, and I'm reading it, I want to just praise him. I just want to be like, God, I, can't, um, I just can't believe what you're about to do. I can't believe that it could be any moment that these things could begin. I want to live a life like that in these days. Looking up, I don't want to be flipping through newspaper articles and trying to put all the pieces together. I want to know how the story ends. I want to know that no matter how it ends, no matter how bad it gets, if this thing gets worse with sicknesses and if it gets worse with men becoming more evil and their hearts bent on evil, if it gets worse with you know the apathy and churches dying and everything else, all these things that are happening, I want to know how it ends. And I want to be able to rejoice that the Lord will come out victorious. That it's already something that's going to happen. He's just letting us know the details in between. I want to worship and praise Him for that. So, let's pray. Father God, I thank You, Lord, for Your Word. I thank You that we do have the opportunity to worship You and praise You. And I thank You that at the very beginning, I can't even imagine how excited John must have been as these things were being revealed to him in a very, very difficult time in his life. Lord, this was supposed to be a punishment, and yet You took it and made it into something that blessed all humanity through it, through His affliction. Just the way You work, You just do that, Lord. You did it Yourself. And God, I just pray that as we go through these passages and we learn and we understand things more and more and more, give us the wisdom to discern these things. Give us the wisdom to know what things we need to know better. Help us to grow and mature in our faith, but help us to be able to worship you more and more and more uh, as we gain a greater understanding of who you are and what you've done and what you're about to do. Um, Help us just to be grateful, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.